This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jacobs. gentlemen what's going on this is the negro league podcast i go by the name of preach jacobs thank you guys for listening we are sponsored by mo better soul clothing check us out at mo better enter code negro to save 10 percent on your next order we have a very special guest here right now and i'm really excited because uh i know you're busy i know everybody said they're busy but you really really have like a real job that is busy tell the people who you is Hi guys, it's Dr. Carey. Oh my gosh! All right, now, all right, and it's not like Dr. Pepper or or Mr. Pib. You're Dr. Doctor. Tell people uh, what you do. I am a board certified family medicine physician that practices full spectrum family medicine. So, I am seeing grandma, grandpa, delivering babies, taking care of them once they come out, everything. Um, I'm also assistant. Program director, so I teach residents mm-hmm. um, and do the professor thing, do some research, lots of cool stuff, my nine to five. Wow. So, like, it's called what, a general practitioner? Is that what it is? Yeah. So, it's a family medicine general practitioner. Most of the time when people think of a general practitioner, they're thinking of an internal medicine doc. Mm-hmm. And the difference between family medicine and internal medicine is that with family medicine, we take care of pregnant women. Mm-hmm. We take care of children. We take care of adults. So we're the only specialty in medicine that actually can span across pediatrics, adult medicine, and OBGYN. So was there was there a specific way that you wanted to get into this? Like, for example, like, what made you choose, like, the, the, the path of wanting to do everything as opposed to having, like, a specialty? So I actually started out in medical school wanting to do just OBGYN, which is women's health only, delivering babies, doing gynecologic surgery, like hysterectomy, et cetera. Um, And actually, it was a huge life change that happened in 2015. I guess you could say I got burnt out. I realized that my whole heart wasn't into it. And so I decided I really needed to go a different route. Um, I don't know if anybody listening has ever quit a job before. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I quit a job with no backup plan, like the thing that your mom always says, do not do. Uh, I did that. And so I, it happened. I call it divine intervention, but it, it so happened that I had a really good friend I graduated medical school with that had moved from Boston to South Carolina, was practicing family medicine, absolutely loved it. Uh, we talked and it was just the right fit. Um, when I was delivering babies, you know, like when you do OBGYN, mm-hmm. you never see the baby again after you deliver. Really? Because the baby goes to the pediatrician. So... I would, you know, see mom and we'd see her for six weeks. We don't see her again until she gets pregnant again a lot of times, you know, unless there's some guy issue that's ongoing. But so I always felt like I wasn't doing complete medicine, right? Like if dad had an issue, I had to recommend that he go see his doctor, but I couldn't take care of dad. You can't see me, motherfucker. I'm (laughs) right here. (laughs) Exactly. Like we'd be in the same room. He's telling me about his chest pain and I'm like, oh, you might want to see a doctor that sees men for that you know now it's like 
man, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, everybody show up with the kids at the same visit Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the same room. Uh, It gets crowded, but it's really cool because there really aren't bounds to what I can do. Um, And when I'm at the limit of what I know or procedures that I can do, et cetera, I can always refer out. But I mean, my job is almost unlimited at this point. I think that's really dope. And I think um, I was having a conversation with uh, my homie, the last podcast where, you know, he's a filmmaker now and, and he's ex-military guy. And he was telling me um, in the last episode about, um, being burnt out. And this is like the early 2000s. And he said that, you know, he felt this paranoia about explaining whether uh, he should tell his family he has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, and we just started talking about it where he was basically like, he says, you know, America, he felt like people really don't care about, you know, the idea of black people being burnt out or the black people have gone through the stress or whatever. And I said this to him and and, and it might be, a little bit of both. I was like, you know, I think it's really interesting. It's like, I think, you know, white folks look at us. <laughs> like, if you invite, like, a white friend to, like, you know, the the black Southern Baptist church, you know, the white people are like, oh, my gosh, you guys are singing these great songs and you're clapping and you're dancing. Wow, you guys have a great <laughs> spirit. And somehow I feel like people think that since we make this shit look so good mm, that yeah. – I don't know if this, they're neglecting or not caring about how we feel, but sometimes I don't think that they assume that we're struggling because mm-hmm. the shit looks amazing. It's like, like, like being a black dude every day, there's a lot of paranoias that we deal with. Yeah. But they, you know, but the public looks at, you know, the, the black basketball player right. and, and we wear Nikes. And if a black dude mm-hmm. is dunking a basketball, that shit looks awesome, but it's yeah. really, really stressful. So did you feel like a pressure, um, different from, I guess, other colleagues, not from your background. Mm-hmm. Do you, is that something similar that you hear that, that, that black folks in, in the medical um, field, does it feel like a little more paranoia to, to be honest about those things, about being stressed out that white colleagues might not have the stress about? Um, let me ask you a question before mm-hmm. I answer that. Have mm-hmm. you ever Googled black culture? Like, have you <laughs> no. ever typed it in? No, no, so what pops up? You got to go to either Google <laughs> or Wikipedia and you just got to type in black culture. It will redirect you to the African American culture page. Wow. <laughs> but it's really good. I mean, it's a really well, comprehensive. I got a question. Yeah. Why did you look that up? Ooh. It's funny. I looked it up because I was giving a talk to my department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave a talk to the whole family medicine department about what it means to be black mm-hmm. in America. And uh, because I feel like, you know, most of the patients, not most, but well, the majority of patients I take care of in this zip code are mm-hmm. African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we have to look beyond seeing people uh, as the diabetic or seeing people as, you know, this group of people have more diabetes, more hypertension, more obesity, and look to what is their culture? What is the community that they come from? So I really wanted to frame it in kind of a full spectrum of what our culture looks like. So anyway, I went to Google and typed in black culture. The thing, the reason why I bring that up is because about 18 paragraphs down, it's a really long article, but somewhere toward the bottom, it talks about the black church. And Mm -hmm. it talks about um, how we as a people have built what we've built 
in spite of everything. Exactly, yeah. Right, that all that the jazz music that you hear, that the dancing that you see, exactly. that the athletic ability, all of these things came as a result of creating something out of nothing, uh, creating success out of oppression. And so um, that, that I think it ties back into, it's it's a really dope article. I, I, people really should read it. I don't know who did it, but I'm it's say, really I hope cool. it ain't a white person that wrote it. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's like 50 authors or something. But it ties back into your question, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, is there a sense of paranoia or is there more of a struggle, I guess, as a black doctor? You know, the reality is that uh, when you step into a hospital, you don't leave everything, mm-hmm. every part of you outside of the hospital. You yeah. know, you don't, when I step into the office, I put my white coat on. It doesn't negate all of the other experiences I have as a black woman. I'm, I'm a black woman in a white coat. Yeah. So. Damn, son, is deep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so the thing is, like, at the end of the day, yeah, you know, I I feel like any other successful black person, especially as a minority in certain arenas, I've had to work twice as hard or even if I hadn't, even I didn't have to work twice as hard, I had the perception that I had to work twice as hard. Um, I will say that I was rooted in um, a lot of the mentorship chains that we kind of create for each other. So right now I have mentors that have done this before me. I have mentees that are coming after mm-hmm. me that look to me as their beacon and light. So, um, you know, one of the survival mechanisms that we've created is really strong chains of mentorship, um, really strong, almost unofficial academies of this is how you survive. You know, do you need somebody to talk to? Were there microaggressions that you experienced that nobody else saw in the room? Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. You know what I mean? It's, it's interesting because it's like, I think the the secret to us now, and I and I speak about like you know my you know my black family that I grew up with and what I saw. You know, when I was growing up, you know the white kids I grew up with, they'll talk about they would talk about going to therapy like soccer practice. You know what I mean? Mm, They'd be like, oh yeah. yeah, I gotta go, gotta go see Bob. You know right. what I'm saying? On Tuesdays at four yeah. thirties, and there was no stigma with it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't there wasn't a shame that was attached with it or anything like that. And so. It was um, one of the things I talked about in the Black as Fuck show is like I had this whole story about, you know, hip hop culture collectively failed Biggie. You know what I mean? Mm. And like and like the idea that we celebrate March 9th and do parties. That's the day that he died. You know what I'm saying? I was just talking about that. And niggas don't know when he was born. May 21st. But but. You know, his album was called, first album was called Ready to Die. Second was called Life After Death. But yeah. the last song, Ready to Die, was Suicidal Thoughts. Yeah. And and we just dance into it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Do you see that stigma leaving, being in the medical field, dealing with, you know, people on a regular basis? Because for the most part, theoretically, you know, when people see a doctor, when black folks see a doctor, a lot of times in my family, you know, it's not as much as I'm just going to get a checkup. It's more or less something's wrong. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So do you see that stigma kind of falling back as far as like the mental health aspect of it? I see some generational changes. I think that, you know, in a lot of my older patients or I can even say older family members, they're one in the same. You know, there is a lot of, well, I'm just going to go talk to the pastor about it or, mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I have a friend. I talked to my best friend about it, my close friend about it or um, you know, we keep things in the family. I'll just deal with it myself. I think with our generation, there's a lot of just 
outward talking about it. Like, you know, even if we're not necessarily telling everybody, mm-hmm. we definitely, I know I do brunch a lot and over brunch, we're like, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm seeing somebody, maybe you should too. And yeah. it's become uh, much less stigmatized mm-hmm. uh, and much more of a part of our self-care routines. You know, anybody I talk to, they're going to hear me say things like, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, other self-care mantras. And so I think that we, you know, especially the younger people are starting to adopt that more. And, you know, they say the children will lead the way. So then our parents and our grandparents are starting to see us get the help that we need. And I think they're starting to follow suit um, slowly, but but surely. You know, it's interesting because um, I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about like our favorite movies of... Uh of last year. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite movies was that Spider-Man movie, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, where it's a, it's a animated uh, movie, yeah. but it's based on one of the incarnations of Spider-Man, which is a black kid from Brooklyn. And his name is Miles Morales. And and his, his father is black and is uh, a New York cop. His mother okay. is Hispanic. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it was like a lot of these things kind of like melded together without it being overwhelming or overbearing. Right. And I remember when I went to go see it, I saw it with my nephews and and the the thing that ran through my mind was I was like shit I wish I had this growing up you know mm, yeah. and so you realize how important it is to see people that look like you um you know when you're trying to go to these different things like having representation it can yeah. be it can be as small as going to a movie representation it, matters absolutely and 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 not only just you know being someone that's black in the medical field mm-hmm. you you look you look hip you look cool you know what i'm saying like Appreciate you black you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness no but it's like <laughs> you you black you got locks and I, and i think that is that something yeah. that was that something that was intentional that you feel like you know what girl i want to get i want to get a flat iron but i want to have these locks <laughs> you know i mean is that something that you think about is it is it do you walk in there not just doing your job but you feel like you have like a responsibility to your people as well and does that stress you out it's not stressful. I had a black doctor, mm-hmm. and he made a huge impact on me as a teenager. And, you know, he was, I, I told him I wanted to be a doctor, and never once did he die. He was like, okay, cool. This is how it's going to yeah, happen. He ain't laugh. He, ain't like, like, he, was, he was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. You want to come yeah. shadow me? Um, All right, that's dope. And so that's what I do now. It's not stressful. I, I don't feel like I carry the weight. Um, of anybody on my shoulders. I, matter of fact, I feel the opposite. I feel like the the community and like that ancestral spirit actually lift me and and push me and keep me going. You know, it gives a a greater sense of purpose than than just doing it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the locks, uh, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you a story. I actually, uh, how long have you been growing them? I've been growing them for. Four years. Okay, all right. I think the four-year anniversary was like two weeks ago. Um, but I got locks because my mom had locks. Mm. Um, and so she she just hit 22 years of growing her locks. Really? Yeah. And and, and your mother was kind of in a professional like field as yeah. well. Yeah, my mom was a cop. So, so was, that, was, was there something that, has she ever talked to you about like any of the struggles that she dealt with choosing oh, yeah. to be natural? Oh, yeah. I mean, she talks to me about all the struggles. Whether it was being a black woman as a cop, being a woman as Mm -hmm. a cop, you know, 30 something years ago, there weren't a whole lot. Um, And yeah, being having to to figure out how to fit her hair underneath the the cap, you know, at work and that kind of thing. So 
women, we're very much tied to our hair. It, it's a, a huge identi- identifier. You mm-hmm. know, um, there it takes a lot of maintenance. It, it's one with us. Um, I don't necessarily... I think of my hair um, as a statement piece sometimes, mm-hmm. yes, but I, I don't necessarily uh, think about it, you know, as in, like, I had a choice. It was going to be the blowout and the flat yeah, iron right. or it was going to be the locks. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, my locks, anybody's locks, I feel represent a, a certain power, a certain ownership Absolutely. of this is who I am. This is my people. This is the way my hair grows out of my head. It grows out nappy. Um, and I'm just gonna let it mat together the way it it naturally does. Um, and I will say this. So, um, again, representation matters. I did kind of struggle when I quit my job and I was looking for another Mm -hmm. position, you know, to be employed as a physician. I, I had the thought, you know, I actually had the conversation with my family, like, how are they going to feel about these locks? And I remember going on the interview and there was a young lady who was already a resident there who had locks. One of the things I thought was really interesting, like I was laughing to myself when you were talking about you had a black doctor that was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be your mentor. Yeah. And you embrace that idea. It's it's funny because I was joking about this with my mom the other day. There was this episode of Sanford and Son <laughs> where Fred had to go to the dentist because he had some trouble. And when he went to the dentist, when the black dentist walked into the office, walked into the waiting room or whatever room it was, uh, Fred would cooperate. He wouldn't open his mouth. He wouldn't do nothing. Oh, because wow. he kept telling Lamont he wanted a white dentist. So the idea of having a black dentist like freaked him out. Wow. So so Fred wouldn't open up his mouth. He was being a dick. So the, yeah. dentist, so the black dentist is like, I know what's going on. He was like, um, let me figure something out. He walks out the room. Then the white dentist comes in. Yeah. And Fred is all excited. The white dentist is like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Open up your mouth there. He's like, okay. He opened up his mouth, all this shit, right? Yeah. So the white dentist looks at his mouth and he says, hmm, this is kind of outside of my depth of field. Uh, let me go get my, my supervisor. So right. he go out and the black dentist come back in. Wow. <laughs> and the black dentist is like, you know, open up your mouth, Mr. Sanford. Do you yeah. want to take your foot out of it first? <laughs> and, and, you know, and it was kind of interesting because it's like, I, I wonder... How often does that happen where wow. where our people, when they look at us in these positions, like don't give us the type of respect we deserve? So it's one thing to expect bullshit from the folks that don't look like you. Right. Sometimes it can be more harmful when our people are doing it to yeah. us. Have you experienced any of that? I have. It's not that common, though, um, but it absolutely happens. Yeah. It happens more with some of the older patients, too. I think it's also mm. a generational thing. You know, mm. they just are not used to seeing us in these positions um, or in people who just, for whatever other reason, are not used to seeing us in certain positions. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, I don't know if you knew about this, but Delta Airlines did a campaign about a year ago, uh, what do, what does a doctor look like? Mm, really? Um, well, it really wasn't, it wasn't Delta. It was black women in response to this incident on the Delta Airlines where the they called overhead for, you know, we it's an emergency, we need a doctor, we need a doctor. And um, a black female physician responded and they demanded to see her badge and they did not believe that she was actually a physician. Um, and so, you know, right. Meanwhile, patients having a heart attack or whatever was happening with the patient. Um, 
and and they would not let her touch the patient, uh, even though she was a licensed practicing physician. They just looked at her and and could not believe her. So after that, this campaign started where black women from everywhere were posting pictures of themselves, uh, hashtag what a doctor looks like, mm-hmm. um, or do I look like a doctor or something like that. And so... Um, I think that it speaks to just people needing to know that we are out here. We are uh, black. There are black men and women who are physicians uh, who are excellent physicians and give excellent care. And the more visible we are, I think the more comfortable people will get with that notion of having a black doctor. Is that why you, um, you know, outside of being involved in the medical field, you've taken like a personal responsibility to to go out and about and do um, workshops and, and do speaking engagements and things like that? It definitely plays a role in it. I think, you know, when I realized that just me walking into a room without me having to say anything mm-hmm. uh, was pretty powerful for some people, knowing that I am a black physician, knowing what it took to get there, I think uh, that was a motivator in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, listen, I want every little child out here who has any type of aspirations whether it's to be a doctor or not, to know that somebody did this thing. Um, and just simply because I did it, they can do it too. Because, so, I mean, I, I did not have it handed to me. <laughs> okay. And this was earned. This, okay, so this brings up something else that, that's really interesting, right? It's like, you know, this past week we've had this whole thing with, like, these uh, the, the aunt from Full House and, and motherfucking Felicity Huffman. Yeah. I, think, I think that's her. And if y'all hear all this clanking and clanking, Lori, I'm, I'm drinking right now. Lori Laughlin. Um, yeah, who's married to, like, William H. Macy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this whole thing where it's, like, they're, they're spending all this money fudging grades mm-hmm. for their kids, SAT scores. There was, like, a story where one of them had a son that's, like, five foot five, but they Photoshopped him to look like he's over six feet. Wow. And they're making, like, pictures of this nigga, like, dunking and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, Photoshopping you know? pictures yeah. and... And so, like, what is your take on the concept of, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about higher education and the idea of scholarships and things like that, you have, like, kids who don't have the means really breaking their fucking necks to get into the schools. Or if you're yeah. a working class family where they're breaking their fucking necks to pay for school. And, and But yet you would have the people that can afford this shit right. going out of their way to still try to like pimp the system. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Is there is there anything that that you've seen in that regard as far as like, you know, cuz cuz medical school has to be insane. Like like I know you know the number. Like like is it like what what how much does it cost to do what you do to get to that point where you can get all all the accolades and all the papers to do what you do? Yeah. What kind of what kind of investment is that? It's probably like a million dollars after you when you add everything up and add the interest, and you just said that your mother was a police officer, yeah, exactly. So there's no, no. there's no millionaire uncle I coming had, around. No, I wish. <laughs> listen, if, if there's somebody who wants to claim me, adopt me, listen, <laughs> come like, pay these student loans. My cash app address is <laughs> exactly. It's my birthday coming up. Um, you know, here's the thing. So, uh, in medical school, my my school was some. Like sixty thousand dollars a semester. Where, where'd you go? Like all I went your, to Boston University. Okay. So I went to North Carolina Central University mm-hmm. for undergrad, which is an HBCU. Were you ever out there with the Ninth Wonder? We so he's about five years ahead of me. Okay, but uh, as far as school, so he did go to the school and graduate from there. But he was actually a professor while I was there. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Was he teaching? Okay, yeah, Shout he out was to the already. Knife, yeah, he and um, kid. 
from Kid and Play. Get the fuck out of here, really? Yeah, they're they're professors. Listen, in f- our f- de- really? What the fuck yeah. is Kid? Is he is he doing hip hop studies too? Yeah. All right. First and foremost, or at least he was when I was there. As a light skinned ass nigga, that's who I was <laughs> called my entire life. My brother is darker, and so like we were always called Kid and Play. Well, no, maybe it was Play, the dark skinned one. Okay, that's Play. All right. Well, okay, okay. okay. Play. Actually, him and I did a pa- we did a, a panel together for this hip hop thing that we had here yeah. at Allen University. He was re- he was really really cool. Like that nigga's in his fifties though. Like and yeah. he still looked young. I, well, Night Wonder ain't like. I mean, you know, Night Wonder. That means right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Black I, don't crack. Yeah, pretty much. He's one hundred and twelve. I'm like, I'm just kidding, but this nigga ain't gonna listen to this. I love you though. Um, love you. But uh, nah, like I was gonna say like, about Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some dumb shit about a year or so ago. Where I don't know if you know about this, I probably have to show this shit to you. Where, okay. where there's a there's this black sports guy that's on Fox Sports, right? And I and I don't assume that it's like Fox News, very very you know uh, right winged or whatever. But he's like one of these few black guys on there, and he makes his his mark about being kind of like <laughs> I I don't like saying Uncle Tom, but goddamn it, he's Uncle Tom, okay. and like and he goes on this whole rant about like. All the black people that are supporting like Kaepernick, he goes out and he's just like trying to kill Kaepernick, you know, wow. more 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 so than if you disagree with the guy. It felt like he made it like a personal responsibility to try to show the white people at his network, mm. I'm not like this guy. You don't have to worry. You know what I mean? Like it was right. a little, it was a little extra. It was extra. Yeah, like it's not trying top. to say. It's not trying to say that every black person had to vote for Obama, but I remember there was one of those uh, RNC conventions and there was this black dude talking to McCain. He was like. I want you to get him, get oh, him, wow. and it was this vitriol that yeah. was just insane. Yeah, you know, like why do you feel so strongly about this person that yes. you've never met? So Michael Whitlock did this skit where it's supposed to be somebody supposed to be playing Kaepernick, making fun of Colin Kaepernick, okay. and it was Kid. Oh wow! Put, he put on an Afro wig and a fake beard. Oh wow! Wearing a Kaepernick jersey, putting a fist up. And this black sports guy is making fun of it, and I'm wow. like, "Where the fuck?" First of all, first of all, where they find him? Yo, where you, what like, the where fuck? you, where'd you pop what up for him to do fu- that? What the fuck? <laughs> and so he got donkey of the day on um on Breakfast Club, but that happened. Charlemagne and Charlemagne said that kid texted him and said, "Could I tell you my side of the story?" And Charlemagne was like, "Cool," and he ain't never responded. <laughs> he wow. never said that. So so until further notice, right. We don't. Do we even know if he's alive right now? Like, what's going on? Did he never? He never texted he back. He came here about. A, he came here about a year or so ago. He came to Columbia. After that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he came. He say, came. Somebody go check on him. Yo, he came. <laughs> he came to Columbia for uh, for Love Feast and Hip Hop. Kid and Play came out here, but you know, as until further notice. Until further notice. Kid can suck kid backwards. Wow. So ah, see. That was actually poetic. I'm so, yeah, I had my moments. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I got I went on a tangent. What was the question I had? <laughs> can I can I interject and say something though? Yes. So I know you didn't ask about this, but I just want to like the opposite of what we were talking about as far as there are black people out here who don't want a black doctor. Let me tell mm-hmm. you something. 99% of the time I walk in and it's like a celebration. It's like my graduation <laughs> all over again. When I walk in a room and it's a black patient, they're like, oh my God, you're my doctor. That's dope. Um, I've had people ask to take pictures of me, Word. take pictures with me. Um, my granddaughter wants to be a doctor. Can we FaceTime her? She'll never believe I had a black doctor. Wow. Um, that's that's yeah. encouraging. Even like walking through the hospital, you know, the janitors or the people who work in the kitchen or whatever, they're just, you know, they'll come and kind of whisper, keep going, baby. We see you, baby. That's We've been dope. praying for you. 
you know, or we watch a little piece of pie from the Lord whatever, Jesus. you know what I mean? It's like you become family with these people because um, they're so proud. That that's that's encouraging. Yeah. Like, like it feels like every time you walk into one of those rooms, black people in there, like Mahalia Jackson looks up at the sky and starts. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like yeah, it's cool. I, I tell you what, it's interesting, right? Because it's like it's encouraging. But another part of it is it gets frustrating in a way mm-hmm. because that happens when 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 we know that it's kind of like a unicorn, right? Right. It's like Chris Rock had this great observation about baseball. He mm-hmm. said, you know, the color barrier was broken in 1947 when Jackie Robinson played. He said, but baseball wasn't equal until the 1970s. And he said, and the reason he said it was equal in the 1970s is because that's when you started to see shitty black baseball players. Right. right? So exactly. he's like, he was like, true equality is to be able to suck just like the white man. You know what I mean? And so like, yeah. and so like, oh, and so like the idea of Obama yeah. becoming president he had to kind of be, you know, rock solid with everything he did. Like, yeah. like if there was an illegitimate kid, it would have been found right. out by now. Right. If there was a crackhead. He was you flawless. Know, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it's kind of a reflection of like, yo, in order for a black dude to run. Because imagine Obama doing half the shit that, that 45 is doing. Mm. He would have been impeached a long time ago. So mm. I think it's kind of like within the celebration it's also the realization of how much it lacked like even like black yeah. panther you know what i mean like we got right. so excited about black panther yeah. and i was excited too but it was like yo maybe this is also a reflection of how rare is this shit right. you know that we're watching something that's not black cuz it's a slave movie yeah you know yeah. i guess i guess and maybe and, may, and maybe this is the way to look at it and tell me if you agree your job or your goal is to not be the unicorn anymore. I don't want to be the token. I don't ever want to be the only one in the room. I don't want to be well, okay, the, here, uh, here's what the I say exception to, that. to the rule. Here's what I say to that, right? Because I, I feel like, you know, as far as like music and stuff that I do in Columbia, getting involved in politics, I'm usually a lot of times one of the only, if not few black guys in the room. Mm-hmm. And I and I, and I I would feel really uncomfortable about that. And it was funny because like, I look at your locks and I get jealous because I grew mine for like 11 years. And I didn't grow it with any pressure of white folks cutting it. But, but there was a part of me that felt like I kept them to fuck with them. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like the, the, that, that beige rage. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like going out of my way. And I realized this, and this is somebody told me this, and it's kind of put it in perspective. They said there's a difference between being the only black guy in the room and a token in the room. Mm-hmm. Like a Absolutely. lot of times, a lot of times we're going to be the only black person in a lot of these right. rooms in these circles. But the token is you're the only black person in that room, and you try to change who you are to be accepted by people right. that that wouldn't fuck with you otherwise. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Exactly. That's why I said I don't ever want to be that. I'm never going to be that. Mm-hmm. I'm not that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that I feel completely supported, uh, completely valued where I am, where I work now. Um, You know, I work with a whole bunch of middle-aged white guys who are like, how can we be better? Mm. How can we do better? Like, what support do you need? I mean, on a daily basis, we're having conversations. How do we provide the best care for our patients? How do we recruit more diversity? How do we, you know, make everyone feel included, whether it's race or sexual orientation or et cetera, et cetera. So even though right now 
I'm the only one. I'm not a token. I'm not being used. I'm not being negotiated over. I'm not being pawned. Uh, we are trying our best so to create an environment where I'm not the only one. Um, and and I'll be honest, if I if it wasn't a supportive environment like that, I couldn't do my best work. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so and I think that that's part of the key that we have to find. You know, black professionals is go where you're valued. Mm-hmm. Go where you're supported. Go where you can thrive. Like I'm not out here just trying to have a job to have a job. I I care about the quality of my life. I'm gonna go and stay where I'm loved and and where I can thrive and work at the top of of, of my license at the top of you know my aspirations. If you if you weren't a doctor, what would you be doing? Like what would be the second like dream career or your <laughs> like you know what I mean? I would probably be a diplomat or something that involves a lot of travel, a lot of language. I love learning new languages. A word. Yeah. So. so if, okay. So if you had all the time in the world to yeah. do what you want to do, what would you what would you want to study as far as you know another language? Mm, Mandarin. Really? Why that? I'm fascinated. I love it. I love singing. So um, it has this almost like sing song feel to it. I, I love the like secrets to it. So nah, like okay. so if you say like um you know hey how you doing is uh ni hao ma. If you, <laughs> if you yeah, say I like I should to flex. It's already no, you're I'm already just flexing saying, as like, a doctor. No, I'm like, just saying like there's intonation like things just sound different. And your like, voice changed too. Like yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't like a mocking, <laughs> but I think yeah. like sometimes we kind of encompass like the language itself. Say it yeah. again, say it again. Ni hao ma. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. That's so. Just in case anybody out there wants to know, that's how you say hi. How are you doing? You know, it's like a greeting, and then you would say, "Wo hung hao is I'm doing well. I'm mm-hmm. fine. Thank you." Basically, Shishini. What's that mean? Is that okay? I'm not sure if that's Cantonese or not, but I got that from um, Rush Hour. Uh, that's supposed to be uh, thank you. It's Shishi. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you said Cantonese she, she. or or what Mandarin? So Mandarin. So it's, is, so it's Mandarin. Like like it's sort of like. I ask people that speak Spanish if they went to Brazil and people speak Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, what would that be? And somebody he gave me this explanation. He said that it'll be like going to a drive-through at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and when someone's talking, it cuts out every once in a while. Right. So you could probably get around, but it's yeah. not exactly the same. Absolutely. Do you think like is is Mandarin and Cantonese kind of the same? Yeah, way? pretty okay. much. It's kind of like because um, you know living in Boston, I heard. Portuguese all the time. And so you start hearing someone speak in Portuguese. So I can speak. I don't, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I can get around. Mm. Um, so you hear somebody like speaking Portuguese and mm. you're following along. And then it's like, oh, wait, that's not. I don't. <laughs> mm. I thought we were talking about. And then you realize you, you hit like a two or three word kind of in the sentence. You're like, I don't even know what that means. Or it sounds really close to the word you thought they were going to say, ah, but okay. not quite. All right. All right. So So let's bring up the Boston thing, right? So sure. as a as a <laughs> as a sports fan, oh, it was epic. Oh, well, okay, I don't give a fuck about your, your Patriots. Let me get to the point. I was thinking about the Celtics, but anyway, I mean, okay, this, we so, had okay. a good run while I was there. All right, look, here's my question. Right, <laughs> there's a lot of sports players, a lot of athletes across the board, black athletes, when they talk about the highest level of racism that they deal with, Boston is like top tier mm. you know what i'm saying like but like boston is like the 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 upper echelon of racism <laughs> and, and, and which is weird for for yeah, me living living in south carolina mm-hmm. i mean shit we had the fucking confederate flag here until 2015 right. you know what i'm saying yeah so 
how racist was it for you? <laughs> On a scale of one to Confederate flag. Yeah, a scale of one to nigger. Right. <laughs> like when you called coon when you walked out the house. Uh, <laughs> one to coon. Um, <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> From one to coon. Um, Boston is a different place because while you do have these extreme... Uh, examples of racism that you can find, Mm -hmm. you also are buffered by the fact that there are like a thousand other ethnicities there. I mean, finding it is one thing. How easy was it to find you? Like, 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 is there, is there stuff that you dealt with where you're going through medical school and it's like, right. you know what, God, you're fucking cone, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, is there anything like that that you had to deal with? There were definitely some uh, sometimes where that happened, I think for me in medical school, one of the biggest things that stands out is my peers nominated me to be the representative to our big medical body mm. of medical students. And the dean uh, didn't particularly like me because I've I'm as outspoken today about mm. race issues and socioeconomic, you know, discrimination, et cetera, as I was then. And she didn't particularly care for that. So, um, I remember I was nominated, I was set to go, and she vetoed the nomination and chose someone else to do it. Wow. Um, and I remember, you know, kind of having a conversation with her, like, why did, like, how do you even do that, right? Like, and she was just like, oh, I think it would be in your best interest, blah, 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 BS. You know what I mean? So, so she, tried, she tried to protect you? <laughs> she was I, like, I, I just want to protect you from yourself. Um, so, you know, the thing about it was there were a lot of black doctors there. There were not a lot of black chairs of departments mm-hmm. and administrative heads, you know, VPs, executives, deans, et cetera. Um, and so that's the type of institutional racism that you saw where we'll let you come here and work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll let you get a paycheck. Um, but you're not going to be anybody's boss. I mean, when we talk about the greatest basketball players ever, we always talk about Jordan, and we talk about, oh, Jordan has six rings. Bill Russell had 11, mm. all in Boston. The I think he has more rings than any other player, any player ever. He actually also won a ring as a player coach one season. Bill Russell said he was called a nigga every night. Wow, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, like playing for the team that he won all these rings for. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and it was one of those things where, where when the black players from the opposing teams would come, like Wilt Chamberlain would come into town, he yeah. would take them out for a steak dinner because yeah. it's kind of like I know you done went through some really racist shit. Right, I got you. you it wasn't I mean? that bad coming through, but I will say it's almost like, uh, like okay, when I was growing up, we had we had something called Jordan Lake and White Lake. And this, and, is, and this is this um, is in, in North Car- in North Carolina. North Carolina okay. um, when I would go home to you know see my grandma for summers and stuff, and White Lake was known as the Black People Lake. That's where you can go. Mm-hmm. You cannot go to Jordan Lake. Mm-hmm. So when same when I got to Boston, you know we got, we have our ways of communicating with each other and saying like. <laughs> Don't go to South End. <laughs> the Southie project. Whatever you do, <laughs> do not go to, to Southie by yourself. Um, and Mattapan is cool. And Dorchester is cool. And Jamaica Plain is cool. Wow. You'll be safe there. So I don't know if racist, racism just didn't find me as blatantly as that. Or it's just I knew how to not let it find me. Mm. Or I knew how to avoid it. Um, 
but yeah, when 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 the Patriots won <laughs> Super Bowl and the Celtics won, you know, it was definitely um, what's the what's the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember being out one night, and honestly, whenever they won, we would go in the house at seven p.m. Mm-hmm. We knew to not be on the streets Word. when yeah when the sports teams when when the games were let out. I was in I was in the safety of my home. That sounds you didn't ter- know what was going to happen. I mean, you got a bunch of drunk, privileged folks that. Well, look, <laughs> I can't I can't get mad because when my when my Eagles won, uh, there was a story that during like one of the celebrations, some guy punched a police horse and knocked it out. <laughs> a, a horse? A How horse. do you knock out a horse? I don't know. And then uh, yikes! And there was another one when uh, Cleveland won, which I, I'm a I'm a little more understanding for them because they never won shit or it's been so long. Yeah, some guy. And this is this, this is totally white shit because we wouldn't do this. So guys walking around, it's a video of this guy so excited, like yeah, we fucking won. We yeah, won. <laughs> and like once and there's another story that involves a horse. It's like you know the cop yeah. horse, but there's like shit on the road, and this guy in wow. a celebration eats horse shit. No, dude. Yeah, like what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know that that's how I like to celebrate you know my wins. Yo, um, yo, white people, <laughs> have you tried henny? It works <laughs> just as good. Yeah, just it's as also well. brown. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, <bro-sh-sh-sh-sh-sh-> look at <laughs> yeah. you. See, I got my that's moments a good too. Joke, you goddamn king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I feel like I'm back in Boston now. Uh, I didn't say it with the, with the exact uh, the accent. That, you know what's you interesting about Boston though is there are a lot of black people or brown people, but mm. they're not. A lot of black americans mm. so that was what i unexpectedly experienced too was what's, like, what's the reason for that there's a lot of haitians mm-hmm. um there are a lot of jamaicans um just it's really a big immigrant place a lot of cape verdeans they're brown from you know off the coast of africa um so uh, being black american and having a southern black american experience even that um set us apart you know, I say us, several of my classmates, apart from some of the Boston natives there uh, who were of maybe a lot of Afro-Caribbean, you know, or origin. So all right, that's interesting. It's very like, different. It's like London is kind of like that, where it's yeah, just like right. all, the, all the black people that I meet in London, they're not from London. Yeah, <laughs> you they're know what I mean? from Africa, Nigeria, Caribbean, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Exactly. That's it's very similar to Boston. And so, you know, even though we have the same skin color, we didn't have the migration story. Mm-hmm. We don't eat the same foods necessarily. Um, maybe practice some of the same religion, maybe not, you know, because... Southern Black Church is different than oh, absolutely. everything else in the whole wide world. So, Southern so, Black Church is an experience. It's I, an experience. And, and it's I its think, own religion. Like, I, let's absolutely. just keep it 100. Like, you can say, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, I mean, I was having this conversation, you know, with my mom yesterday about, about Mahalia Jackson. Um, Who I'm named after, by the way. Really? My middle name is Mahalia. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's why, I mean, that's why I'm dope. That's why I made the Mahalia reference. I had exactly. nothing. Yeah, see, look at that. You felt the energy, the ancestral energy. Nigga. So, <laughs> so check this out. Like, so I was, I was telling my mom about when I went to the, the African American Museum in DC and hometown. And hometown. And when I went to when I went through the the museum, they had this section with with uh, Emmett Till. Yeah. So they have they have like the Emmett Till casket in there. Yeah. And they have footage of like Mahalia singing at the funeral. Mm. And um, because I was like I was straight through a lot of the right. the because like you know you get that warning your homeboys like all yeah. right nigga you, you gotta give yourself time yeah and you know and I gonna make fun of you start crying you right. know what I mean like Take like deep so, breath yeah so I, I'm cool man when I walked into that section with Emmett Till yeah 
And you got like Mahalia Jackson. Soon there will be none troubles off, nigga. Yeah. Ah! Right, everybody. Ah! Yeah. Yo. Just like like I had to, I just, nigga, I had to sit on this bench. My homeboy had to put his arm around me. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. Like, and I thought to myself, I was like, could you imagine Mm-mm. if this is it's kind of like side note on, yeah. on Mahalia? Could you imagine if Mahalia Jackson did like like she just she refused to do secular music. Yeah. But I'm like, if Mahalia did like a soul album or R and B record. Wow. How crazy would that be? That would be crazy. That would be fucking insane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't even I it's hard for me to even put my imagination there. And I have Yo. like a really solid imagination. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, you saw, you saw something like that with like the staple singers. Like they were just, you know, church, church, church. Yeah. And then they started doing secular stuff. So like a lot of the stuff from the 70s, the right. let's do it again soundtrack yeah. was like some of my favorite shit. And, and then they ended up going back to, you know, gospel music. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I guess I can see Mahalia, you know, let's get it on. <laughs> you know, she had. That, I can't think of Mahalia. She had that deep, kind of strong voice. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Did she have kids? Um, Cause they I had think to she get had. I think she had one um, really, really early on. Okay. Um, I can't remember the details with it. I don't know if they passed away or not. I don't know, but okay. I do know she passed away kind of young. She yeah. passed away like seventy two um, from diabetes. We were talking yeah. about that earlier. Yeah. And they were talking about how um, sucks, man. Her mom died when she was a little kid, mm. and so her aunt raised her. Her aunt was just like this mean, mean lady to her. Mm. They used to beat them all the time. Like it was like she, her her aunt would do the white glove test to see mm-hmm. if the house was clean. Yeah. When the house wasn't clean, like it would beat the shit out of her. Yes. So random question, right? Because it's the other thing that I read about her. Okay. It's like she was bowleg, and so like you know she was born. I don't know if it was the late eighteen hundreds or the early nineteen hundreds or whatever. But like you know, I to fix the bowleggedness, mm-hmm. they were suggesting that they break them. Did yeah. You, like so, what's the what's the the deal with that? Or the idea of the reset them, or what's the idea? Yeah. So break it and let it reset and let it grow back. Um, you know, you can put a rod in it and let it grow back straight. Yeah. So is that the they same still, thing now? Is that is that what they would do now? You know, you have to talk to an orthopedic surgeon about that. Um. <laughs> uh, it's funny because it's like it's like when, when you get a doctor around, you're gonna get all doctor questions. I don't yeah, even give a shit if it's like, not your field. Like, exactly. That's why I, I will ask you like <laughs> psychologists ask questions, like you know. Yeah. Like, which you know, do you do you have that happen like when you're with family? They're like, you know, I got this thing growing on my leg. You yeah. want to take a look at it? <laughs> Most times I know what it is, and if I don't, I'm like, I don't know. Look on Wikipedia. No, nah, I'm joking. Don't but look, man, <laughs> look, man. There's nothing worse than like you have a little too much to drink, and your stomach start hurting, your head start hurting, yeah, and and you start thinking that you got these conditions, and you go to like Please WebMD. Don't do that. I know. <laughs> you go to God, WebMD. You have brain cancer. Like, exactly. In five minutes. Oh my gosh! Like when the Ebola shit was coming out, and you got like a, you know, I got like a mosquito bite. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen. I know my limits. Um, thankfully, being a family doc, I know a whole lot. So most of the common conditions, I got you. Um, but yeah, I don't break people's bones typically. <laughs> to reset them. To reset them. <laughs> yeah. And we don't, you know, medicine has changed. A lot of it, we found that a lot of the anatomy corrects itself. Mm. Um, so. How, all right. Can you, as a musician, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to watch like 
movies <laughs> movies that involve like music and shit because it's like you yeah. get frustrated real easily yeah. like you know what your, your instruments aren't even plugged in yeah. or you you know this looks fake or whatever yeah. and i understand that it's just this shit of me being a musician that just drives me crazy about mm-hmm. it it's don't, the same okay i was gonna say don't let it get started that's like a, a movie same. and they got like a rap song and it's terrible yeah. so you can't watch like er or chicago hope uh, or nothing no shit like it's that it's funny because i still find myself watching so many doctor shows <laughs> like Grey's like, anatomy You're like this shit don't happen yeah like it's fun my mom we used to come home and man she was watching nypd she was watching cops <laughs> she was, i was like you didn't get enough of this at work um no i love Grey's anatomy like the first 11 seasons and then Jeez. things just that got shit out is of still hand. going on I know, I didn't even know. Listen, it's too much. But here's the thing. It is incredibly difficult to watch, like, your pediatricians doing a C-section or (laughs) your emergency doctors doing electroconvulsion therapy for a a schizophrenic patient. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very uh, unrealistic and it gets real frustrating. Um, But the drama's cool. So, like, like ER, every episode, and I guess... I guess theoretically in that field where it's just like, you know, it's the emergency room. Yeah. Like it's like or even Grey's Anatomy, it was just like every every single second it was a fucking emergency. Right. Like 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 it's like life or death shit. Yeah. Where a lot of times you assume a doctor's office or or doctors, whether they're in a hospital or 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 in their offices, it's, it feels very relaxed in mm-hmm. a sense. You know what I mean? Like they come yeah. when they, they they see you and they see you. Yeah. They come kind of chill. Like so <laughs> I don't know. Is it was it ever felt like that working oh, in the hospital? Oh yeah. Oh man. Even in my office, mm. we get people dropping out. Uh, you know, have having seizures in, at the front desk. People mm. passing out. People uh, trying to push the baby out. You're like, wait, Jesus let's Christ. call the ambulance. Get you to the hospital. We yeah, it's drama um, all the time. Every every day is not an emergency, mm. but. Yeah, there's an ambulance outside my office every day, you know, taking somebody usually to the hospital for something, um, even if, if not every day, every other day. So, yeah, it's it's pretty high drama. Um, and then in the hospital, the thing about the hospital is everything's nice and calm and smooth until it's not. Mm. <laughs> and that the unpredictability of it mm. is the part that's stressful because... Uh, Things could be going great. And it's like, code blue, your patient. <laughs> like, what? What happened? I just saw them. They were fine. So so, so tell us about this. Um, uh, you were recently, was it on CNN? I was on CNN. Van Jones. Van Jones. <laughs> I can't want to say Van Lathan. Van Lathan is uh, uh, the guy from uh, TMZ who has a great podcast called The, the, the Red Pill. I think, yeah, you know I think I've about? heard he, of it. He was a guy like had a, he had a podcast, or whatever. He was a guy that like cussed out Kanye when Kanye was like starting to wild out. Oh wow! Like he cussed him out like really hardcore. Uh, that was the damn spell like ages ago. But um, the Van Jones <laughs> like joint, which time? Yeah, right. Kanye. Anyway, <laughs> the Van Jones stuff. Like yeah. how how did, how did that happen? Like how did they get in touch with you? And, and yeah, and what were you talking about when they? So when they came the here? week before Van Jones came to South Carolina is when we had. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Corey came. Um, Corey, yeah. Elizabeth Warren, they were all down here in like in the same week, and uh, really showing you that South Carolina is going to be, it's, it's like the Black Iowa. You know what they, I mean? They got to come through here now. Absolutely. They have to come through yeah. here. They have to get our vote. Uh, you know, we went from really red to purple. Uh, we're not blue yet, but we're 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 probably going to become a real swing state uh and and make a difference in this upcoming election and so van jones wanted to get down here and see what the people thought what you know how they felt about uh democrats you know medicare for all um 
some of the other policies and things they're coming out with. And so he wanted to chat with some people, you know, Bakari, Bakari Sellers mm-hmm. um, works for them. So his people called Bakari's people. Bakari knew uh, some folks I knew down here and they, they hooked us up and connected us. Oh, wow. That's dope. So yeah, like, was cool. So like, how do you feel as far as like specifically black women, as far as like, being responsible for not responsible for who's in the White House, but like those that's a demographic for these guys trying to run. They have to get you. So someone that's looking, uh, if they're looking for your vote, what are you looking for? You know, here's the thing. I don't need anybody that's out here pandering to me. Do you, right. Do you, I don't do you, need do you feel like that's what's going on? Cause like because a lot of times it feels like, you know, like I, and I know there's some theatrics with with politics, right? But it's like I'm, yeah. I was reading this article when Kamala came here, and and it was like the the and, and and sometimes I think the publications are being dicks about it, but where the headline was like Kamala Harris, you know, promises change while she eats barbecue. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, like and so like when you see the headline, it feels like you know she coming out here on some Hillary Clinton. I got some hot sauce. Yeah, hot so sauce like, in her bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so what? So do you feel like? When, when these people are coming here, do you feel like they're trying to tap, not tap dance, but do you feel like they're pandering to get your vote? I feel like some of them are, some of them aren't. I'm not going to, I don't, you know, I don't even know enough. We haven't seen enough yet mm-hmm. into this election to say who's necessarily pandering and who's not. Mm-hmm. But I tell you one thing, all black mamas know, they, they everybody has heard their mama say, I got eyes in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. So we are, we can see through it. You know, we are over the BS. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not out here interested in your buzzwords anymore. Yeah, um, exactly. We want someone, particularly, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for an entire race of people. Um, for me, I want someone who is talking about women's issues and mm-hmm. um, gender equality, pay equality, uh, women having the right to make their own decisions over their pregnancies, exactly. over contraception, et cetera. So, um, you know, and, and not even just women's issues. You know, as a physician, I'm tired of not being able to see my patients. You know, yeah, black yeah. men are out here uh, getting the least care because they're the demographic with the least amount of health insurance. Well, I got a, I got a question for you, and, and, and maybe this is me throwing this out there. If you want it, I think you can have it if the universe brings it to you. <laughs> But it's like, you know, you see someone, this, and this is really crazy to me because I don't know all the cabinet positions that, that are out there when you're getting to the White House. Right. But I do assume that there's something that is involving the medical field that someone like Trump, when he's fulfilling his staff, you have, I mean, for whatever, however you feel about Ben Carson, I think he's really corny, but the motherfucker is a ridiculous, amazing, you know, surgeon. But he puts him in HUD. You know what I'm saying? Something right. that some somewhere that he's totally out of his depth. If one of these Democratic candidates get it, whether it's you know Kamala or Corey or Betty or or Bernie, whoever, and there's some type of political position that will have you advocating for stuff that you're looking for. Um, as far as healthcare, as opposed to being a physician, would that be something you'd be interested in? Absolutely. Word. Okay. Even if that means you got to put, you know, be in a position on pause. I wouldn't be putting it on pause. I would be you taking care of Word. the okay. entire nation. Well, fair enough. I got yeah, you. But you, me, know, you know what I mean? Like you ain't yeah. delivering babies no more. I will take Secretary of Health and Human Services. All right. Well, that's okay. I will take that. Well, I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Let's right. put it out there. Because right. here's the thing: the person who has that job mm-hmm. is overseeing FDA and FDA approval. They're mm-hmm. overseeing 
lots of policy, you know, that makes it into the legislature about how we are uh, dealing or, you know, how we go about our daily lives, um, the implications on health and wellness, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, uh, vaccinations. So absolutely, um, I would love to do that. The thing about it is that, you know, I am not necessarily committed to doing medicine in one way. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went into this to be a healer. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a master's in public health. Right. So uh, I'm actually working closely with some folks at DHEC now. We're establishing some things where I do have even larger of an impact. Because I can see a patient one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And yes, I've affected change in that life. Um, but I think it is more powerful and more impactful to have a larger audience. I can make a decision that affects thousands of people well, uh, instead of one at a time. I I think that's in your future. I think Thank you. And I, I, I don't I don't have I don't have shades dark enough to block the brightness that's about to come. So uh, oh, I, I, I see I see a lot of that coming, and I think that you know you know the world to be better off. Um, the more power that you're given, because I think that your your focus would be on the right things. And I, I'm wondering this. This is my question for you. Someone has been involved in the medical the medical field, and I'm not sure how long you've been involved with it, but from the time you got started to now, what has been the greatest um, development that you've seen that, 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 you know, you know, I, I guess the last huge disease that we cured was like polio or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, but what has been the greatest advancement you've seen from the time oh, you man. started to now? Oh. People don't get chicken pox anymore. <laughs> right. Was that still a thing when you, when you yeah, I got I had chicken pox. I had I chicken pox little. too. Yeah. It it wasn't until I was in I was finishing up medical school and I realized there's like a chicken pox vaccine and like kids now who are like 10 years old they, was, they, they never got chicken pox. I, I still got some of the scars that's crazy yo, that's that's like badge badge of honor yo, shout out to the asshole parents that <laughs> you never spend the night at some people's house all of a sudden you want us to have sleepovers and shit on a wednesday because <laughs> right. you're trying to give your kids chicken exactly pox. <laughs> yeah um man there have been so many i can't even let me tell you um being able to do surgery on fetuses that are still in utero or babies that are still in mom's uterus. Wow. Um, I've seen that. I've, I've seen fetal cardiac surgeons open up a mom's belly, you know, MFM open up some mom's belly while she's pregnant, mm. like doing a C-section, pull the baby halfway out and do something on their heart or do a procedure on their throat, or, you know. And, and literally sew the ba- baby back up, put the baby back in there. I've seen that in real life. Okay, I know that sounds amazing, and it is amazing. But I have one question. <laughs> What's that? When you... Hold on, let me turn this light <laughs> when you, When you first got started, was there... Did you ever get sick the first time you, you had to, like, you know, work on a body or something like that? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how, how does that work? Is this like when uh, when you say it's your organ donor after you die, or I'm donating myself to science, or those yeah. like the cadavers y'all got to work on? Yeah. So first semester, first year of medical school, we'd work on the cadavers. Um, I'll tell you, the hardest part for me was the hand. Why the hand? So the. I'm about to throw up now. <laughs> <laughs> So we have to dissect the whole body. We have to peel the skin off. We have to pull the fat out. We look at every muscle individually. Uh-uh. We learn every one of them. Um, you open up the the cavity, the 
you, you looking at all the organs. Um, but the, the guy, stop, because you're playing games. The guy who was our director of Cadavers, um, he used to be an embalmer at a funeral home. And so he knew how to really preserve them well. And so what he would do was he would put thick linoleum, uh, like, lotion on the hands and wrap them up. Uh, to keep them really soft because the thing is that part of the body, that skin is is tougher. It can dry out. And so um, he would wrap them up and keep them moist. But the problem with that is when you unwrapped them, it still felt like a human hand. So everything else, I'll be honest with you, when you peel the skin off and you've completely <laughs> like taken the muscles and dissected them, the human body can start to look less human because you know, you don't have those necessarily those characteristics, but when you still have the hand that's perfectly preserved, and you know, for a lot of people, the hand is connection. Mm-hmm. When you're in love and you're affectionate, you want to hold hands. When you, when your grandmother is dying, you hold her hand. And so, you know, to have this hand that was still soft and still preserved and very much the only human-like part of the body, uh, yeah, I threw up everywhere. Um, it was too much. It was it was too emotional, emotionally so, provoking. So is that one of those things that they just they they just prepare for? Like it's like it's like when I was in high <laughs> like when I was in high school and we had to like go to these gyms and start working out, they would tell us, you know, our first times going to a gym, like, look, don't eat before you gotta go squat. Yeah. Because you're gonna shit yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like so is that like the type of warnings that they just um, they're just ready for that they just know that kids are gonna throw up? Yeah, they I mean you kinda know that that's always a possibility. And I mean honestly the bathroom, the locker rooms are real close. Mm. Um it smelled like formaldehyde. Jesus Christ. It was horrible. But you adjust, you listen, you will be surprised what you can adjust to. Well, when people get mad about, you know, People get mad at like athletes making a bunch of money. I yeah. get it because they're playing games, yeah. they're hitting balls. But give me some of that money. Yeah, I mean for, for real. But I f- I feel like you know teachers are horrendously underpaid. Absolutely, give them some of that money. Too. And I feel like if anybody gives shit to a, anyone in the medical profession for making a lot of money, y'all deserve every cent and even yeah. more. Because like here's the thing: like people people talk shit about like if if and and, and for one thing. Well, I think you'd be really great as an ambassador for anything medical related, especially if we're talking about not only the African-American community, but, you know, women or even also African-American women, is that you're extremely approachable and conversational. And I think that's really, really important to bring people in. Thank you. But on the other end of it, I feel like if a doctor wants to be a stuck up asshole, I'm cool with that because I feel like there's certain professions that if you're a dick, I'm cool with it. Right. I feel like I want my lawyer to be an asshole. I want my doctor to be an asshole. Mm. I want my quarterback to be an asshole. Because when shit hits the fan, you gotta cut me open. I don't want no I don't want that hesitation. I don't want the oh, am I gonna do this wrong? I want be cocky. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want my quarterback to be cocky. But I'm kind you know? and cocky. Well, absolutely. I'm and that's why and that's why you But the here's uniform. the thing. The reason why I can't be an asshole, I can't be cocky, I can't be out here acting like I'm better than somebody. I tell people this all the time. We're one bad decision away from losing all of this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one lawsuit away or one really tragic outcome away. You know, some people, I've had really bad things happen. And thank God I've had my faith. I've had my village, my support, my community um, stand by me. And I've overcome a lot of, you know, personal feelings of failure or 
tragedies with patients, et cetera, et cetera. But I know that, you know, there are doctors who've had a bad outcome and never recovered. Mm. Um, I know that, you know, there are things that happen that you literally cannot explain. It does not matter how much I study or learn. There is always going to be something about the human body that we don't know yet. And for me to be cocky or to feel like I'm better than or whatever, it's like, really, that would be embarrassing because as soon as you do that, something's going to happen to humble you. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, there are some things to this day where people either got sick and died or miraculously turned around and were walking out the door the next day. I can't explain either one of them to you. Do you think... um in our lifetime, stuff like AIDS and cancer would be cured? Yeah. You think so? I think it can be. Yeah, I think it can be as well. Yeah. 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 I think if we, listen, the fact that we don't have malaria because yeah, yeah. we put enough money into, uh, you know, mosquito prevention, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that we don't have, like you said, with the vaccines, we don't have certain diseases. Uh, the fact that people are still living with HIV for 50 years, yeah, 60 yeah. years, and not getting AIDS. Um, you know, I think if we put the right money and resources and attention into uh, some of these diseases, we absolutely can get rid of them. Um, I don't know if you have you heard of PrEP, um, P-R-E-P. Mm-hmm. So it's the uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis pill. Basically, if you are I, in a relationship, you yeah, saw, you heard about it? I saw the commercials, yeah. 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 So if you're in a sexual relationship with or, um, you know, have other risk factors for contracting HIV, you can take the PrEP pill and uh, it's been shown to drastically reduce, if not completely prevent, uh, the transmission of HIV. So is it a money thing? Like, like you know, we, we, we someone told this to me and, and this, it makes sense in my head when, when, when they're asking for like money for cancer research, someone said they need money to fail a bunch of times. Because that's where the money is going. The money is going to test, to test, to test, to test, to test. Yeah. And it's basically you fail until you don't. You know what I mean? Right. So so the money is going towards, you know, if we want to cure cancer and they're asking for money to be donated. The the money is to have the resources to just keep experimenting. I think, you know, there's money that goes toward experimenting, but there's also money that goes toward awareness and education, mm-hmm. right? So, like... There are people who are paid money to go in the community and teach people how to use condoms yeah, exactly. appropriately. Because if you put it on backwards, yeah, or, right? I mean, the idea <laughs> of prevention is just as effective and as important yeah. as trying to cure. And we it. have yeah. to start preventing. You know, the thing is, if as long as we have a McDonald's and you know, don't sue me or whatever McDonald's. But as long as we have a we only McDonald's, got two listeners, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna go viral. But as long as we have a McDonald's on every corner, we can't call can you, ourselves serious about preventing cancer. Can you be a doctor? You know what I'm saying? Can you be a doctor and use the term going viral? Is that mean, is that like, you know, inappropriate? Wow. While I'm talking about HIV and cancer? Yeah, you're yes. just a terrible person. Now, I'm fucking with Hashtag you. Hashtag no pun intended. The only reason, only reason I say that to be just being funny is like I was listening to this podcast and this guy had like the, the self-awareness where he was talking about um, the massacre that happened in New Zealand. And he's basically saying, like, he was saying, like, we need to have some type of legislation that's bulletproof. And he caught himself. Oh, and he wow. was just like, I can't use this term, you know, while wow. I'm talking, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so yeah, they're so, tight. Yeah, so, I'm, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm giving you shit, but yeah. yeah. No. 
You but, always do that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, you can't, as a society, when we start valuing all people, we'll see eradication of a lot of disease. Now, speaking of Point outreach. Point blank, period. Speaking of some of the outreach stuff, what do you have coming up that we can kind of tell our two listeners? About? Oh, wow. Outreach. So I actually started my own business on the side because I have lots and lots and lots of free time <laughs> mm-hmm. where I do public speaking um, and self-care workshops for mm-hmm mostly girls and women, um, about, you know, how to better take care of ourselves, how to dream out our our highest dreams and live our best lives. So I have a um, workshop coming up March 24th called Legends with Every Black Girl, uh, Executive Director Vivian Anderson. Um, I'm doing the Hive. Have you heard of the Hive? It's a sexual assault and domestic violence uh, nonprofit here. Um, they have something called Columbia, South Carolina, called the Survivor Summit. So we're doing that. I believe that's April 16th. Um, doing a, a workshop there on vision journaling, vision boarding, uh, really uh, getting back in touch with self and, and living our highest dreams. Um, so, yeah, I have that coming up. Several spe- speaking engagements coming up. I'm going to Toronto, Canada. When, when, when? April 27th. Bong, what's going on yeah. over there? So doing a talk on contraception. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, you know, there's lots of uh, talking points that I go over consistently. One of the biggest things that has one of the biggest impacts on women's lives is being able to control their reproductive life. Mm -hmm. So uh, having control over contraception, having access to birth control, um, it really lets women decide, you know, yeah, I'm ready for a baby or maybe I'm not. Uh, let's plan this family instead of just, oops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, got, I got pregnant. Are we going to keep it? Yeah, we got to because we live in South Carolina. You Ooh. know what I mean? Sorry, I mean, no shade. But, I mean, but ain't all no shade. shade. To me. Well, all uh, shade. All I, shade. Listen, my parents <laughs> meant to have me, so of course, is what I was told. <laughs> I, I do know they stopped. After me, because I was 10, 10 pounds and breached. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shout out to your mom. Yo, yo, yeah, I hear that all the time. Wow. Yeah, don't ever let him live that down, mom. But anyway, <laughs> do you still sound like that when you sleep? I probably do, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, that's it. So if we um have any last minute things you want to promote do you have a, a website follow me yeah so anybody who has instagram follow me it's at dr carrie md that's d-r-k-a-r-i-m-d mm-hmm. i have a website dr spell it the same way as the instagram handle you can find me on facebook it's just dr carrie k-a-r-i so we're out there word follow me for updates um Come to some of the speaking stuff. It's worth it, I promise. Uh, <laughs> or at least I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> it says um, it on your Wikipedia page. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anybody want to start a wiki page about me, you know. Do it yourself and act like it ain't you. That's no, I got to. Then it won't feel genuine. Man, fuck all that shit. Do it for me. I, wait, you got one? Do you have a, a I wiki have page? No, no, okay, I'll make no, yours I, if you make mine. All right, deal. <laughs> look, look. You, <laughs> Somebody, uh, somebody <laughs> say, "Oh, who who made all uh, this five star review on your right. podcast on Apple Music?" And I was about uh, to joke and say it was me and what yeah. me, but it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be. It's that a person. good podcast. I listen to it. Oh, word! Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. So it's three people. We're growing in popularity. Yes. <laughs> You're going viral. All right. Oh, look at you. Uh, that's a bulletproof thing to say. Uh, 
<laughs> I think this is enough. We've been talking Yikes. for a little bit over an hour. I want to keep going. I know um, we have to go. Do a part two. I part mean, two. I gotta, you the one, you got shit to do. You the doctor and Listen, all. Listen. Are you on call and you put that shit on mute? The motherfuckers, <laughs> motherfuckers are like bleeding somewhere. Ah, <laughs> this is like the one day a week I'm not on call. Yeah, th- yo, that should be like all on CNN. The podcast murders, you know, the podcast that's where exactly. the doctor could have helped because she was minutes away, but exactly. she was recording a podcast with three people. Well, this is more important, so. Oh, wow. No, nah, okay. I'm joking. I'm yeah, really, I know I'm, you're joking. I'm not like, on you even got to tell me you're joking. I know this ain't important no, at all. No, no, this is really important. Thank you for the work that you do, by the way. Oh, thanks. Thank you for your I love do. and support. You know, here's the thing. A lot of people just, a lot of people see the glitz and the glamour. <laughs> right. You know, they think, well, listen, doctors do make a lot of money, but I'm not one of those kind of doctors. Shit. <laughs> Holla at the neurosurgeon. Yo. Shout out to the cardiologist. Yo, I'm gonna, tell that I'm, to the Ferrari that you just pulled up in. Outside my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, you must have been to one of my workshops because you're speaking everything into existence. <laughs> I need to talk that shit to myself. I love that. So we doing, we doing HHS. We doing Ferraris. Yo. I got a good life, according to preach. Yo. Somebody gonna have to like mop up or like sweep up all these goddamn rose petals on the floor because she can't <laughs> she can't walk on like regular floor. I know. Yeah. I'm Jesus cousin. So. Yeah, or you know, I mean, I know these rugs came from like World Market. I mean, they're not, they're not that bad. They were on discount. Shout out to World Market. Shout out. For every month they see that little text message with a little forty percent. Yeah. This, like every time I go to World Market and I want something, I'd be like, I'll just wait. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know there's a coupon coming. Yeah. So shout out to them. Shout out to Michaels because uh, I know it's those the coupons are there too. Month. They don't sponsor. They don't don't sponsor the podcast. No, but maybe one day. Out. Actually, you know what? Y'all, y'all want to sponsor the That'd podcast? That'd be kind of whack, though. <laughs> I got to get, like, some black and some cool shit first before I get them. Like, I always joke. No, I, you don't. I joke on all my podcasts. You know, you know, like I always thought it'd be funny to make like like uh, sponsorship songs yeah. for companies that's mad random. Yeah. The companies I want to do, I want to do Murray's Pomade. Okay. And I want to get Tussie. So okay, so let me tell you a story. Oh gosh! So I ran out of deodorant the other day, and I'm a regular ass person. Mm -hmm. So I ran out of deodorant, so I stuck my fingernails down in the little crevice, and I'm like scraping. And then I take it and rub it on my underarms, and I literally was like, "Oh my god, I feel like I'm in a tussie commercial." Yeah, you're, some, you're somebody's granny. Now. Like I'm, this is the tussie moment of my life. Listen, that's what I'm saying. You can't be a cocky doctor walking around here knowing you didn't rub. Yourself. Yeah, you didn't rub <laughs> a tiny piece of deodorant. Under your underarms, hoping that you got enough to put under the other well, arm. Well, God bless you that you at least have the wherewithal to use it. Because some people are like, you know what? I'm going to use a crystal. Like, yeah, that shouldn't no, work. No, no. Uh, Thank God I went to the grocery store that you, day. You, you want to hear my, uh, my Tussie jingle? Okay. You made this up? Yeah, I do this every once in a while on wow. the podcast. Okay, here's, sure. Here's a Tussie jingle. The, <laughs> the Negro League Podcast, sponsored by Tussie. Tussie, Tussie, who? <laughs> That's the jingle. I love that. <laughs> That's the Tussie jingle. And I want to be able to do it where I double up the ooh. Yeah. And harmonize. Yeah. Like, ooh. Okay, let's I'll do it together. Tussie, Tussie, ooh. <laughs> All right. That's the podcast. We can't do no better than that. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the Negro League podcast. You're welcome, people. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. We're sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to mobettersoul.bigcartel.com. Enter the code Negro to save 10%. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. You can follow me on at Preach Jacobs on all social media. That goes for Twitter. That goes for Instagram. You can also go to Mo Better Soul on Instagram. If you want to donate, cash app. 
Money Sign, Mo Better Soul. We have a bunch of cool shows and shit like that coming up. Um, check out the details of this. We're going to have uh, all the information of our guests today to go to her website to support whatever she's doing. And that's about it. I'm about to get myself something to drink. Nigga! Shout out to everybody that's listening. Thank you all so much. This is Nico. Podcast. Yeah.